0: Now, as, as many of you know, I was in uh, Guatemala last week weekend, uh, preaching uh, four messages all weekend to a, a couple hundred missionaries there, and uh, it was a trip we had planned over a year ago, and I was glad to do it, honored to do it. I think it went very well. Uh, on the plane ride back, I had planned on listening to Rustin, because uh, I listened to all the messages, uh, usually live, but I couldn't live because I was speaking at that time. I listened to all the messages, and then I found out that that uh, the airplane doesn't have Wi-Fi over Central America. And then, when I finally got into uh, Dallas, I realized they don't let you stream messages uh, in the United States. So I was like, "Oh!" So I landed here, and I and I listened to Rustin uh, sometime Monday or Tuesday. And I just have three words to say: uh, "Wow, praise God for that young man and and the teaching that he brought me, Yep, amen. You know we uh, we we went on a kind of a uh, an intentional hiring blitz a few years back to hire younger guys other than me and neil and uh, and we decided to to hire people like Rustin and Derek and Michelle and Kevin Yule and and many others. And so it's just changed the entire uh, feel of our church and now even the substance of our church. And I couldn't be more proud and I couldn't be more excited about the days ahead for Scottsdale Bible. And all of you are a part of that. So uh, I'm I'm glad you encourage Rustin and Kevin and the others, uh, Neil, in their teaching I wanna share with you where we're going for the next uh, three months. Some of you like it when I do that, others of you could care less. So if you don't care, uh, just tune out for two minutes, think about lunch, memes, whatever you think about right now, and, uh, and then tune back in when I pray. But uh, next week uh, and the week after that, I'm here, but we planned a very special guest speaker the next two weekends. Now, some of you are already going, oh, no, no, I want Jamie. No, you don't. Uh, next weekend and the following weekend, we have Dr. Larry Crabb with us here. And uh, yeah, somebody, I could feel the the room. I mean, it, it's, it really is amazing. Larry uh, came onto the scene way back in 88 with his groundbreaking book, Inside Out, that rocked the uh, Christian evangelical world, and he has become a mentor to me, a dear friend. He doesn't usually like to preach in megachurches. Uh, it's just not his gig, and he speaks all over the world, but about a year ago, he said, you know, I, I, I let you interview me on stage uh, at Scottsdale Bible a couple years back, and it was really a, a spirit time. I really appreciated it, and uh, if you want me to preach at Scottsdale Bible, I, I, I'd be honored. And I said, that's all I need to hear. So he gets into town this, this next Friday and he'll be with us next weekend and the following weekend. And you aren't gonna wanna miss that. This is a guy that's probably had more influence on my spirituality. Uh, than anybody else Uh, he's literally has uh, been a a, a, um, how do I say it just a strong figure in my life at some key times and I don't know what he's gonna preach on I asked him and he said whatever the spirit leads on and I go oh don't be like that anyways so uh, he's gonna he's gonna because I'm like controlled and orderly and planning and and uh, it's gonna be a very good time and then that'll lead us right into Palm Sunday and Easter which obviously I, I will preach at and then we're starting a new series in early April that I think you're going to love. I, I, I will be the primary teacher in this new series. It's called Dangerous Sayings. Dangerous Sayings. Here's where the, the brainchild of this came from. I was in my office last summer planning the 2018 preaching calendar. And, you know, my kids are millennials. Like, they're, they're young. And, and they, they come up with all these sayings that I hear like the most popular one now, and you've all heard this: "Is it is what it is." Hey, you ever heard somebody use that? I hear it all the time. My kids use it. Like I'll say, you know, the dog uh, got sick. Well, it is what it is, you know. And <laughs> why are you saying that? I go, you know, just what do you mean? It is what it is. And and so I got this idea. That maybe we should take a look at six of the most popular sayings that we all use today in culture that we hear used, and let's analyze them biblically. Let's ask ourselves what does the Bible say about the language, the phrases we use? So, I'll just kind of wet your whistle here when it comes to it is what it is. If what you mean by that is that I am trusting in a holy, sovereign God who's in control of every aspect of my life and I'm resting fully in Him, if that's what you mean by it is what it is, I'm with you. Amen? I just don't think that's what everybody means by that phrase. And so this will be a great phrase for you to invite your family and friends to that don't come to church because they're gonna use these and we're not gonna be hard on them, I promise. We're not gonna pick on anybody. Uh, another one we're gonna look at is YOLO. YOLO, you only live once technically that's not true. So we're going to kind of talk about that and what the Bible says about the next life and things like that. Rustin's going to join me for uh, one or two messages in this series. He's going to do one of my favorites, uh, as long as you're happy. Have you heard that one before? Happens to me on airplanes all the time. Somebody will say, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a pastor. Well, as long as you're happy, you know. (laughs) And so we're going to analyze that biblically. Is that true? That as long as you're happy, that's what really matters. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this series, thoroughly biblical. And then as we head into summer, we're going to pick up John again, and we're going to move now to John 15 and uh, abiding in the vine. So that's kind of where we're going over the next uh, few months. It's going to be a great ride here at Scottsdale Bible. I should remind you of one last thing, and I, I don't say this defensively, I really don't, but somebody came up to... Neil after the service last week and said you know where's Jamie been he was out of the pulpit twice this month she should have added I'm concerned about him but anyways <laughs> that's not what she was after and uh, and I should remind you that you know last year the elders shared that in light of ten years uh, of being with you that they gave me three months of sabbatical to be split up between last year and this year It's a writing sabbatical. As you know, I'm writing two books with Baker Bookhouse. One is complete coming out this July, and the other one I haven't even started yet. And so there'll be an additional six weeks that I am out of the pulpit this year that you're going to kind of feel. But here's the good news, gang. It means that three-fifths of the time, and you can track it if you'd like, I'm still in the pulpit. And so in case any of you are worried, I'm not, uh, my health is just fine. And I'm one of the most accountable people that I know. I have 14 elders that monitor my schedule and I'm married. So with that said, (laughs) I'm, I'm very accountable. So let's talk about service today. Why don't you all bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that that's poured out on us, mainly through Jesus Christ and the giving of your spirit, as we just learned in this last series. God, I pray today as we talk about this idea of service, some of us are already on edge. We don't know what to make of that, where we're going, what this will be about. God, put us at ease. We're going to open your book. And anytime we open your book, it is life-giving to our soul. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the year was 1983, and I was recently back at college after the Christmas break. And now everything was different. Some of you have heard my story before I got saved, if you will. I became a Christian in March of 1981, but between March of 81 and November of 82, it was a very choppy start. I I did a lot of sinning before I became a Christian in high school, and it was hard for me after I accepted Christ to give that up. And so about 18 months into my walk with the Lord, after a tremendous amount of conviction from the Holy Spirit, in November of 82, I said, enough is enough. I give up God, uncle, and I fell on my knees and I said, I am forever yours. And it was a moment in time for me. I knew I would never look back. I knew my life was him. And three weeks later was Christmas break from college and I went to Chicago. I'm from Cleveland, but I went to Chicago. And I went to this conference put on by Campus Crusade for Christ, aptly called Chicago 82, because it was 1982, and it was the first time I'd ever heard Christian preaching. I heard five or six talks over those few days, and they just rocked my world as I finally, for the first time, heard people teach from the Bible. And then in January of 83, I went back to college, and, and, and everything was now different, but I thought to myself, now what? What do I do? And you guys gotta put yourselves in my shoes. I, I had never read a Christian book in my life. In fact, I hadn't read much of the Bible up to that point. I'd never been to church or really heard a good Christian sermon. I mean, what happened in Chicago was the first time it would ever really got good Bible teaching in my life. I had only a handful of Christian friends. In fact, I could count them on one hand, two. I knew two Christians that would be my age and were friends. And yet with all of this deficit, when I asked the question, now what? It was ironic. I I very naturally, or one could argue supernaturally, did two things. The first thing I did is that I grabbed my Bible and I started a Bible study on my dorm floor. Most of the college kids were not interested in studying the Bible. So I found two lapsed Catholics and one lapsed Lutheran and I guilt tripped them into studying the Bible. I said, you guys say you're Christians, but you look like you're bound for hell, so we need to read this book. (laughs) And they begrudgingly agreed, and me and Scott and Tim and Dave, we met that whole year, and we studied the Bible. Now, you got to remember, I didn't know much about it, so I was learning as we went along, but that's the first thing that I did. The second thing I did, and no one told me to do this, is I said i got to find a church. I was in a small college town, and the pickings were slim in this small town. So I found a little, little Baptist church, closest one to my college, and I started attending. And I met the youth pastor, he was part-time, and I said, hey, do you need any help around here? I gotta do something. And he said, I want you to run the junior high youth group. I thought, my gosh, that sounds really amazing. Two kids were in the junior high youth group. (laughs) Their names were Scotty and Tina. And I spent the next three and a half years, because I was a freshman in college, running the junior high youth group, which was Scotty and Tina, and then eventually a few others. In other words, here's what I need you guys to see. Being very green in my Christian faith, knowing almost no Bible, being you know, brand new to this thing, what did I naturally do when I asked the question, now what? I served. I picked up my Bible and started a Bible study. I got involved in a church and ran the youth group of two. In other words, I said I got to do something to give back, something to serve God now that I am his. And I want to be really clear at this point, gang. Rustin hit it out of the park last week when he ended on a sermon saying that we don't serve out of obligation. And I wasn't serving out of obligation at all. I was serving because God saved my pathetic soul, and I wanted to be where he was, and serving was what allowed me to be where he is most active. And so I served very naturally, or again, supernaturally, out of desire and draw and gratitude. And so here's what I learned years ago, and it's never left me. It's our main point today, and that is, and I'm going to personalize it for you, God saved you. So that you could serve him did you know that he didn't save you to be a sinner he didn't save you to be on the sidelines he saved you so that you can serve him as we're gonna see with the myriad of things that he has placed in you and this is one of the key lessons that God taught me very early on in my Christianity Now, I want us to be very clear about this from the Bible because the Bible is crystal clear on this issue. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is a very potent uh, passage here that walks us through the scenario of what happens when God saves you and then starts to work in your life. So look at what it says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So track the logic of this passage here, gang. This is really profound stuff. In verses 8 and 9, it tells us that good works, all the things that you do, your heightened morality, your service in the community, uh, helping others at work, loving your family, all the things you guys do, none of those save you. Give me a head now that y'all understand that up to this point. So if you died today and appeared before the judgment seat, which the Bible says everybody will, and God says, why should I let you in? don't, this will be a good hint for you, by the way, if it happens, don't say to him, well, I was a really good person, and, and you see, I, I was better than my neighbor, and, and I didn't cheat on my wife, and I never went to casinos, and, and I never told lies at work. I mean, those are all good things to do, but none of those are gonna get you a ticket to heaven. And the logic is, is impeccable. It's because you're too fallen. You're too sinful. God knows that. The gap is too wide, So he already took the initiative on that, sent us Jesus. Jesus bore your sin. He bridged the gap. So it's only through faith in Jesus that you are saved. That's what it's saying here, not a result of works. Now watch this, however. Once you are saved, however, once you are created in Christ Jesus, once you've come home to him, what does he tell you he wants to do? Say these two words with me. Good works. In other words, you were created in Christ to now serve him. To put it in today's language, you were made to contribute, not to consume. I'm not gonna be too hard on you guys, but there's a crisis in the church today. I don't mean necessarily our church, but our church and all churches. And that is that we have created within churches what we call as pastors a consumer culture. And part of it's our fault. Part of it is, tell me this isn't true, we've built really nice buildings and campuses for you to come to. And then you come on campus and we got golf carts that'll drive you from the parking lot because, you know, it's really long. It's like 200 feet. And, and, and they drive you up to the door here. And then we got something great for your kids, you know, over a Cactus and here, like we yeah, a state-of-the-art children's ministry and free coffee. And then you come in here And it's just, you got a nice seat and it's great worship and a wonderful sermon. I mean, just, you know, you're just, you're like blessed like crazy. And then you go home and you go, wow, I've been well fed. What did you just do from start to finish? You consumed. It's not bad. I mean, we want to feed you, we want to help you grow, but all of that is about consumption. Here's what you need to know, and this will rock some of your worlds. That is not the heart of what church is about. That is gravy it's the cherry on top it's overflow at best the heart of church is the body of Christ you and me make up the body of Christ coming together and yes worshiping and getting taught the word and then serving him with as we're gonna see in a few minutes all the things that he has blessed us with we are called we were saved to make a difference to make a donation to this world through our service And here's my point, gang. I would submit to you that it's people who know this and more importantly, people who act on this that have found a key purpose in life that gives them an incredible sense of joy, contentment, meaning, and purpose. The most happy, joyful, contented, non-whiny Christians that I know are those who are outwardly focused on others as they serve God with what he has blessed them with. Conversely, Those who are the most dissatisfied, angry Christians are those who are consuming all the time and ones who never really get outward in their focus. And it only makes sense. He saved you so that you might serve him. The great missionary Dr. Albert Schweitzer, I think, nailed it when he said back in the 1800s this. He says, one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. This guy was a medical doctor. He could have taken it easy all of his life and just you know, ministered to people in the western half of the world. He decided to go to the other side of the world and serve those in need. And he found true happiness. It's what I found back in 1983 when I asked the question, now what? I didn't know any Bible. I hadn't read a Christian book. Heard very few sermons. Hadn't even joined a church yet. And naturally, my saved soul started to gravitate towards serving other people. He saved you so that you might serve him. Now, once we get this, and I'm not gonna harp on it anymore. Once we get this, the $10 question for any of us who buy into this at all, and we all should, is this. How do we know then where and in what ways to serve? I mean, out of all the millions of places and opportunities that Christians could serve God in from here to Africa, how do we know which ones to choose? How do we know what's going to bring the most fulfillment to our soul? Now, some of you are going, well, that seems like a kind of a stupid, obvious question, Jamie. It's really not. One of the greatest problems in the church today, and again, it's at, at crisis levels, is that anytime you hear the pastor talk about service, many of you inwardly respond like this, well, I've tried that and I didn't have the Albert Schweitzer experience. I mean, I've tried it, Jamie, and it really wasn't all that fulfilling to my soul. In fact, it felt kind of obligatory, and it was kind of a drag, and, and, and it just really, you know, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. And you know what? There might be some legitimacy to that. So let's talk about why that might have happened. And, and, and to do that, I'm going to share with you your action point. So the main point was God saved you so you can serve him. The action point is this, and that is that God has spent much on you so that you could serve him. God has spent a lot on you. In other words, he's invested in you. Picture it that way so that you can serve him. Now, those of you who have notes in front of you know that that word spent, I'm going to make into an acrostic. An acrostic is when each letter stands for something. And I'm going to argue that from the Bible's teaching, God has put at least five things in every believer and he did them specifically so that you might get the most out of your service. These five things stand for this. Spent means spiritual gifts, an individual passion, your experience as a follower of Jesus, the natural talents you have from birth, and your unique temperament. See, here's what's so cool about what's happening in this room and at Cactus Venue Chapel, even those of you who are watching online, is is that as I look at you guys, as I envision you, I I am fired up that there are all kinds of spiritual gifts and passions and and experiences and talents and even temperaments. And what God wants you to do is find a way to serve him that matches those things. Real quickly, let's walk through each one of these. And And if you don't get excited about this, as I say quite often, I got nothing else. So spiritual gifts. Here's what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6. It says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, so let us use them. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 6 will say something similar. It says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And then it talks about spiritual gifts. So here's what a spiritual gift is. And this really is mind-blowing. The Bible says the moment that you became a Christian whether you were three in a WANA club or whether you know, you were a teen or even as an adult, even if you don't know when it was, God knows. You, you kind of slid into home plate that happened at some point. Whenever you became a Christian, the Bible says at that moment, God's Holy Spirit came to live in you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The Bible also says that this Holy Spirit brought at least one spiritual gift with him into your life. And a spiritual gift is defined in the Bible as a divine endowment, as a spiritual area of strength. Now, watch this: that when you consider the normal line of what you need to do in all these areas, so like when you consider mercy and encouragement and teaching the Bible and, and the gift and giving money and all these things, you consider all things God asks you to do as a as, as a Christian. There's one or two areas that you excel in above the rest that's a spiritual gift and there's at least 22 of them mentioned in the new testament and the promise is is that if you are breathing here today and you are a christian you have at least one of them and it's an area that god wants you to pour into to use in your service to him And again, there are things like mercy giving, encouragement, serving, helps, giving, teaching. These are all gifts. Hospitality. These are all things mentioned in the Bible. You can look them up yourselves. And to be sure that this is true, isn't it interesting? Go back to the story I told you in the beginning of our time together. Before I knew any Bible, before I'd had really any experience with God and I wanted to serve him, isn't it ironic that the two things that I did to serve him involved what? Teaching. I I mean, is that a coincidence or what? I, I had no desire to be a teacher. I, I, I was majoring in psychology at that time because I thought I might be a counselor until people told me I stink at that. And so I, I didn't want to, I, I, I had no desire to be a teacher or a school teacher or that, but God gave me the spiritual gift of teaching when I got saved. And the very first thing I did is, is I found two lapsed Catholics and a lapsed Lutheran. And I said, I don't even know this book, but let me teach it to you. <laughs> because why? I, I, I had that gift. And like Paul said to Timothy, over time, you take that little ember and you fan it into flame and it starts to grow. That's what's happened to me over the years. Could it be that God has a gift in you and he wants you to use that gift to serve others? Uh, My wife's two top gifts are giving and discernment. She's an amazing discerner. We'll be heading home from a party and uh, I'll say, hey, did you meet so-and-so? Man, I got to tell you, that, that guy was impressive, you know. And I, I, I think that guy could be an elder eventually. And she'll say, nah, he won't. And I'll say, well, how would you know that? You know, and she'll say, there, there, there's something there. When I, when I heard that, there, there's something going on there. There's something you're not seeing. She has saved me on more than one level there. And then giving. I, I'll, I'll come home, my wife will be doing some sort of craft, you know, knitting something, making something. i go, ooh, that looks really nice. It's not for you. She'll go, I'm making this for Ed, or I'm making this for Mary. Or I'm, and I'm like, she's just always wanting to give. See, what are the, those are gifts that God gave her. You have gifts too, and God wants to use them as you serve him. And when you find an area that matches your giftedness, like Rustin said last week, it's not obligation, it's pure joy. Uh, quickly, a second thing that God has resourced and equipped you with, and this one's even more mind-blowing, is this idea of passion, uh, idea of passion. In other words, God hasn't just technically gifted you with a spiritual ability. Get this, He's also touched your heart and He's made you excited about something. You know, when Christians come up to me and are angry about something, you know, I used to get all defensive about it. Like somebody would come up to me and go, Why is the church doing that? You know, or I was watching Fox News the other day and, you know, and then they get start yelling at me about things. And, you know, before I'd get all defensive about that, you know what I do now? I think to myself, well. I think we found a passion area for you. <laughs> Sounds like somebody hit a button. Sounds like that's an area you get excited about. Could we maybe form a ministry for you around that? What, what am I saying there? Look at this passage here in First Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Paul the apostle is speaking, and he says, What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now watch this. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth." I've searched the Bible uh, backwards and forwards. There's no spiritual gift of planting. There's no spiritual gift of watering. These aren't gifts. What most Bible experts surmise is that these were areas of deep down passion within these men. Paul the apostle, he loved to go to a new town and plant the seeds and see people start to believe. And then as soon as a little nucleus of believers had risen up, you know what he'd say to them? Bye, bye. I got to go on to the next town and, and plant some more seeds. And, and you got to believe at some point, this guy named Apollos here in Corinth came along and said, well, you're abandoning these poor people. Like they, they need you here. They got they need you to water this thing. And we would use the word disciple them. And I got to believe Paul said, well, hey, that's your gig. Then you stay. You water them. You disciple. And sure enough, passions are born. You see, we got people in our church That are passionate for teenagers. We have people in our church that are passionate for second half of life people. We have people in our church who are passionate for social issues like equality, the poor, uh, injustices all over the world. We have people that are passionate like Apollos for things like discipleship or teaching the word of God or prayer. We have people who are passionate for sports ministry, uh, hospitality, creative arts, music. Are you starting to get the idea? Those things aren't spiritual gifts. Those are passions that God puts in people's hearts and minds. So the only question I have for you is you consider where to serve. It's okay to ask yourself, this should be freeing to you. Is it exciting for me? Does it fire me up? Is this a burning area in my belly or am I doing it just to meet a need or because my pastor told me to do it? Because you see, those things aren't strong enough. The need will always be there and I'll always be harping you to serve. So those things are always gonna be there. What you need to honor because God has spent a lot on you is the fact that he has gifted you. And deep down, there is a passion in you, even if you don't know where it is. Ask God. He will tell you what you're passionate about. So you got gifts. You got passions. This next one is my favorite because I see this so often in the church. Each of you also have experience that you bring into your service to God. In other words, and this should blow you away because some of you are thinking, yeah, but all my experience is bad. <laughs> I like how Rick Warren said it years ago. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. He wants to use everything about your past, good and bad, beautiful and ugly, as you serve him now, submitted to him and following him. And that excites me more than anything because some of you need to finally redeem your awful past and start seeing God use you in light of your past in the area even that you thought was most painful. Let me ask you a question. Again, this will seal the deal for you right now. Have you ever wondered why addicts sometimes minister best to addicts? Have you ever wondered why someone who grew up with a lot of family of origin pain makes a really good counselor? Have you ever wondered why some of the people who work best with people who are going through a divorce have been through a divorce? Have you ever wondered why some of our stewards here at Scottsdale Bible Church, people who work with those in financial difficulty, have been through the ringer themselves? Need I go on and on? See, sometimes our past, our experiences are are God setting the table for you to now make a dent in this world and make a contribution to the kingdom as you serve him. I love how John Piper said it years ago in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. This is a great quote. He says, the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you are are healthy, and Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. He says, the gospel is not a help wanted ad. It's a help available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who let him work mightily in and through them. And here's the cool thing, gang. God is working in you. Some of you think he's not. Some of you think you're really dry spiritually. Could that be God working in you? (laughs) The psalmist said, why are you hiding your face from me? I'm not sure God's always hiding his face from us. I think sometimes that's our experience. We go through dry points. We go through difficult spots. Could that be God preparing the table for your service that he wants in serving him? And by the way, real quick comment to our chapel audience and to any of you here that are older, do you realize how much experience you have that you offer to a church like ours? Do you realize how much you have to offer a, a, a church that increasingly is reaching out to young people and what they need from you is your experience and the things that you have learned and I know how some of you think, you're thinking, yeah, but they don't listen to me, my grandkids don't listen to me, da, 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 da. Well, guess what? How would you know until you get involved? How would you know until you roll up your sleeves, get off the bench, and out onto the field? You see, the reality is, is that we all have experiences, and God has spent a lot on you. Spiritual gifts, passions, experiences. And then, very quickly, because we have to do a couple other things before we wrap this up, uh, all of you are given natural talents. Quick primer, quick teaching moment. The difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift is that spiritual gifts were given to you directly by the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. Natural talents are given to all humanity at the time of birth. So, Michael Jordan, My guess is that his ability to play basketball so well was not a spiritual gift. Am I safe in saying that? Natural talent. Bill Gates and his incredible intelligence and what he's discovered with uh, software programming, natural talent. But here's the cool thing now, watch this. When you bend the knee to God, He takes that natural talent and now uses it in your service to him. Is that not kind of cool? So C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, get this, he was smart before he got saved. He was really good as a teacher before he got saved at taking, you know, complex literature and making it understandable for the students at Oxford. And then God saved him. And you know what his greatest contribution to the Christian church was? taking complex apologetical issues and making them understandable for the rest of us. God exploded a natural talent in a guy like Lewis and used it in his service to others. Maybe God wants to do that in you. And then lastly, all of you have a unique temperament. This is actually another one of my favorites. This is kind of cool. Some of you here today are introverts and some of you are extroverts. Do you know what the difference is? Most people are confused by it. Introverts doesn't mean you don't like people. No, an introvert simply says, I like people, they just drain me. I don't get recharged by being with people, I get recharged by being alone. My wife's an introvert. I bring her to church, she needs two hours of recovery time afterwards. (laughs) I, as you might have guessed, am not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I get charged up being with people. I get so charged up, I'll take Ambien tonight just to get to bed because I've been with you guys for six hours. And and some of you are going, what's Ambien? Google it, you'll understand. And and, and so my point is, is that when it comes to service, as you serve God, I don't think God's asking you if you're an introvert to serve in a highly extroverted ministry. If you're an introvert, I would not suggest you become the head usher at whatever service you're at because that's all about people. Maybe your service will be in setting up the communion elements that we took earlier. Maybe you'll do something that doesn't involve as much people, help us around the office, around the facilities, or whatever it might be. That's just one example. My other favorite aspect about temperament is that some of you are highly organized people, and some of you are very flexible. Do you understand the difference? It's one of the biggest bones of contention in our marriage. My wife was one of the most easygoing, joyful, flexible people God ever made. She would say, I'm a control freak. I know it's hard for you guys to imagine that, but I'm, but I'm a control freak. So I tend to find ministry opportunities for me that are more structured, controlled, uh, consistent. Uh, those are important to me. Whereas my wife finds ones that are much more flexible and free-floating. And guess what? That's okay. God has given you a unique temperament, and it's okay to find areas of service. Quick proof text on this is Psalm 139, 14, and 15. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. What does it mean that you're intricately woven, fearfully, and wonderfully made if it also doesn't touch your personality? God made you that way, and it's okay. So add it all up. He has spent a lot on you. Are you starting to see? He's given you a spiritual gift or two. He's impassioned you. He's given you a wonderful load of experience, good and bad. He's given you some talents and you got yourself a temperament. And God wants you to find an area of service that fits you best. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But you gotta find a way to serve. Why? Because he saved you so that you could serve him. One last thought before we wrap this thing up. Here's your take-home point. When you finally learn to serve, you become a servant. Now, you're supposed to go, ooh, that's really profound, Jamie, but you're not doing that right now, and I can tell you why. You have no idea what I mean by that. You're saying, what's the big deal with becoming a servant? That's not really like a popular word in our culture today. And uh, of course, if you serve, I guess you'd become a servant. Well, here's what will bring it all together for you. Look at what your Savior said to you at one point in the Gospels. He says, it shall not be so among you. Who would ever be great among you must be your, say this word with me, Servant. servant. So Jesus said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's going to be because you learn how to be a servant of God and a servant of others. To put it in our vernacular today, it's gonna be because you finally learn that you got some gifts, you got a passion, uh, you have experiences, you have talents, you have temperament, and you're willing to finally be a man or woman of God and use those to serve him. And here's the good news. He says when you do that, he won't mind calling you a servant. And servants, heaven will reveal, are the greatest in the kingdom of God. There's a guy named Will in our church here who has had an experience over the last 10 years with this idea of service. God saved him out of an amazing environment. God really saved him in a big way. And uh, from that, he's realized some things about the power of getting off the bench and onto the field. So let's let Will talk to us, and then I'll come and wrap our time up together.
1: Early life was rough. I just remember uh, fighting with my family. I remember my parents having lots of people in and out of the house, and they were both in the music business. So it was something uh, for the late 80s, early 90s that was normal, except that we got the brunt of the addictions too. Spent a lot of time with friends, and uh, one of those friends eventually asked me to go to church with him. Uh, During that time frame, it was interesting because I still wasn't convinced. I didn't know why I was there. I just knew I wanted to go because he asked me. And the guys that were my friends, um, we used to go out in the middle of the night. And we, we would we would kind of ravage our neighborhood, so to speak. I heard just a voice kind of tell me, you shouldn't go out tonight. I didn't go out that night. One of them got shot. And when I found out at school the next day, uh, I was I was really taken back by a couple things. One is I was wondering what could have happened to me. And then the other part of it was, uh, what did I hear that told me not to go? I felt so alone. My parents um, were separated, my siblings were scattered. I didn't think I had anyone uh, there for me. I remember sitting in my room and I kneeled and I, I said, God, you know, I don't know what you're doing, uh, and I don't know if you're even there, but I need you to show up, or I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, and in that moment, this this wave of peace hit me. It was the calm that comes when it, the, the ocean hits the shore. It was at that moment when I came to him that that was what I felt, and he explained that this is what I do. <laughs> I moved out here in 2009 i still wasn't connected to a church and so i began to kind of hop around i started to just want to serve because it was my way of just going back and leaning into god and saying to him that i really wanted him more i realized uh, it's not because i feel obligated to be here it's not because i think that i have to serve it was because i want more of him and this is the place where it's going to happen i'm also helping with uh, young adults ministries in the 20s, 30s category, and leading a small group, teaching, singing, and and just really seeing God do some great things in people's lives. My dad has been in the hospital for the last uh, couple weeks, and it's been hard. But um, my small group have rallied around me. (laughs) They've been praying for my dad, and just seeing other people connect back in when I'm struggling. That has been a huge thing for me to to really see God work in in my life and to help me in one of my downs. I remember someone saying that we aren't blessed just to be blessed, but we are blessed to bless others. Everything that God has brought me through, um, that He has given me and that He has taught me, it's so that way I can step into a role where I'm able to now teach others and show them and reveal to them that God has brought them to this place and through these things for me service, it has such a vast capacity for growth and understanding of who God is. It's been an honor and a privilege to be able to do that for the people at SBC, and I'm so excited for what He's going to continue to
0: I love how Will says at one point in his story that uh, when he serves, it, it causes him to lean into God. Did you hear that? And maybe that's what some of us are missing in our life right now. That you know, we 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 are going to church. We're doing our thing. We're reading the Bible, maybe attending a Bible study or two. But but something's still missing. Maybe maybe for you, uh, a way to lean into God is to begin to serve Him. You know, we have about 7,000 people, adults and children, that attend Scottsdale Bible, one of our campuses or venues, uh, each week. That's our adult and children average. And we do the numbers as well. We have just around 3,000 people in any given month who serve. And that's a lot. I mean, when people ask me, does your church serve? I go, well, we have thousands that do. But, but if you're doing the math with me, that leaves at least three or 4,000 people that um, might need to find a place to serve. And maybe today is the day for you. So here's what we're going to do is we pray here in just a second. As you go out today here and at Cactus, you're going to see tables set up everywhere. You're not going to be able to avoid them. And those tables, as were mentioned earlier, represent uh, just about every ministry in our church. We've asked all the ministries to set up just a small table and with a sign that says what that ministry is. And here's what you need to know is that each one of those ministries have A lot of different places to serve within them for introverts and extroverts, for uh, high control people and flexible people, for all kinds of gifts and passions and experiences. And so as you walk by those tables, if something interests you, why don't you stop? Why don't you see if the Holy Spirit might tap you on the shoulder uh, to see if that's an area of service for you and then try it and see if that's for you. And if not, then you can try another place. See, my concern for Scottsdale Bible Church is that we just won't be a church that serves. I I know better for us, though. We have a rich history, 55-plus years, of people who have not been afraid to serve God by serving their church and their community. And we want to continue that legacy. Why? I'll say it one last time. Because he saved you so that you might serve him. Let's all do that. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you never, ever, ever give up on any one of us. And God, I pray that as we all go out of here now and at Cactus and Venue and Chapel, that God, we would uh, indeed take advantage of the opportunities we have today to find a place of service, or maybe even find a new place of service. And God, as we uh, walk by these tables. May you nudge and speak with your still small voice. May your, may your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, may you tap us on the shoulder as to what you would want from us. God, I, I gotta believe that we each in our own way love you. We wouldn't be here if we didn't, and we wanna serve you. May we find that place, that sweet spot, I pray, in Jesus' name, and we all say together,
1: amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.